You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Here are a few messages from the forum before we start the show. Registration to our 32nd annual conference, Facing Forward, opens next week, the week of December 9th. Visit our conference website, forumworkplaceinclusion.org 2020 for registration information, conference rates, and more. Our three-day flagship event, the annual conference, is our premier learning opportunity at the cutting edge of a diversity, equity, and inclusion landscape. Learn more about the conference, the conference theme, and the conference learning pillars at forumworkplaceinclusion.org. The Forum Annual Conference is SHRM and HRCI eligible. Register for our next webinar, The Theory and Practice of Code Shifting, Fostering Equitable Intercultural Communities. The webinar is on Thursday, December 19th at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Registration is free. This webinar will detail the United States Peace Corps' journey and approach to fostering working environments abroad where both the host country and U.S. staff can bring their full cultural selves to work. Registration is free at forumworkplaceinclusion.org webinar. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. Your engagement with our podcast supports our growth and helps us reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. If you've already written a review, thank you. And please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or colleague. Word of mouth from our audience is the best way the forum grows. So thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again and enjoy the show. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator at here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. I'm pleased to have you here for today's webinar, New Voices, New Visions, Ideas About the Future of DNI from Next-Gen Leaders, with presenters Jan e- Dan Eagle and Mignon Tolan, co-founders of Inclusion Next Work. We hope you enjoy this experience and that find this information helpful in your work and join us for future webinars. Today, Dan and Mignon will be presenting for about 45 minutes with Q&A at the end. Okay, I hope everyone can see our slides. Do let us know if that's not the case. Um, Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to New Voices, New Visions, Ideas about the Future of DNI from NextGen Leaders. So my name is Mignon Tolan. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am uh, one of the co-founders of Inclusion Nextwork. In my day job, I serve as a Chief Inclusion and Strategic Innovation Officer at Amnesty International USA, which is a um, human rights organization, and uh, I work on uh, holistic organizational transformation with inclusion and innovation at its core. But today, um, we are doing this session uh, as INW. Uh, Dan? Greetings, everyone. My name is Dan Eagle. I use he, him, and his pronouns, and I'm honored to be here with you today. I, like Mignon said, am a co-founder of Inclusion Nextwork, or INW, and in my day job, which is actually less of a job and more of a commitment, I am a full-time MBA candidate at the Yale School of Management, uh, where outside of my academic experience, I am the equity and inclusion officer uh, in student government. I uh, I'm the co-chair of the Yale Philanthropy Conference and co-founded an initiative on campus known as AND Society, which speaks to the mission of the school to educate leaders for business and society as a uh, social justice communication and a community building group. So uh, we really appreciate you being here today and are gonna walk over um, our overview of our time today, as well as share a little bit of information about who we are. So. Um, For today's conversation, uh, we are going to talk about the following. We're going to hear some new insights from Next Generation Leaders on IDEAS, which is our acronym for Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, Accessibility, and Social Justice. And we'll talk to you a little bit about why we use that that, uh, acronym. We will also uh, share a little bit more about how to leverage these insights from the next generation of leaders to innovate your approach to diversity and inclusion. And we'll also cultivate some strategies to drive DNI impact from any position in your organization or community. So with that said, um, we will share just really quickly that Inclusion Next Work is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we are a global collaborative of emerging leaders committed to ideas, which we expressed as the inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, and social justice. Uh, the reason why we use this acronym uh, is an outgrowth of the trajectory of the DNI field. We know that many organizations use some variety or iteration of these letters um, in their organizational values and in their work. Uh, for us, we view this 
acronym as an outgrowth of JEDI, of DEI, of DNI, but the S in social justice really matters for us as a community because we view the work of IDEA, of inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility as the fundament, fundamental underpinning of what a socially just society looks like. It is through the living and embodiment of these values that we create a, a society where everyone can thrive. Uh, and for us, there is a really strong moral underpinning of this work. And for us, that work takes shape in empowering new voices, promoting connection, collaboration, and innovation to advance our collective capacity to drive social change and bridge the divides of our time. We do that through virtual and in-person convenings, uh, such as this one. We also uh, provide coaching and mentorship to emerging leaders who are thinking through different organizational questions related to ideas. We serve as a platform for the exchange of ideas and practices that folks can put into action in different contexts. And we also provide uh, guidance and advisory support for organizations that are thinking through similar questions. So with that, um, we'd like to share a little bit about uh, well, actually, first, we're going to take a, a quick poll just to get a sense for who's with us. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, we'd love to get a sense for which of these generational cohorts best describes uh, where you're coming from. Are you uh, identifying most as a millennial, as a baby boomer, someone belonging to Generation Z, or Generation X? All right. Thank you to everyone who voted. It seems like we have a fairly equitable uh, distribution of folks from Generation X and millennials with some baby boomers and some Gen Z folks in the virtual space as well. So thank you for submitting your answers. It's helpful for us just to get a sense for who's in the room. We will talk just briefly um, about ideas for the future. Um, and this was a outgrowth of a time that uh, we had in August of this past summer, where Inclusion Network was able to convene 50 emerging and established leaders who are practitioners, champions, and allies of ideas. And it was through this time of two days uh, that we had an interactive and multimodal conference um, with a variety of access points for folks to participate. And it was designed with the idea of us building a community and co-creating a vision for what ideas can look like in our personal, professional, and civic lives as a framework for change. And so for us, what was important was when people often think of conferences we envision, and at least I do, a space where some uh, subject matter experts or people in our community come and speak to us so that we can learn. And for us, one of the central parts of our work and that is really important to emerging leaders that we learned is this role of co-creation and collaboration. And so from our time with these leaders and from other work that we've done with our generational peers, we wanted to share some themes that have come out as a result that we think might be helpful to share uh, in recognition that we are not the full uh, ambassadors of our generations or of emerging leaders by any means, but hopefully that our sharing of this perspective and that of our community can provide some insights that might be applicable for you where you are. So the first of those themes uh, is that this work needs to be intersectional and for everyone. Uh, this work is based on the research and efforts of Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, who originally codified the term to be thinking about the intersection of race and gender, particularly for black women, um, but that we see as an important part of IDEA's work because of its highlighting of the compounding effects of group affiliation and affinity. Uh, we often think of intersections as emerging leaders as a way of uh, framing work through systems thinking to understand individual experience as related to group affiliation. And in this way, we actually find that emerging leaders are really able to honor everyone's lived experience as well as their learned experience. And it actually offers a, an entry point for folks that may belong to the majority culture of a given context in ways that using the word diverse or diversity may not actually allow them to participate, uh, particularly when the word diversity, when used alone, may actually be a code word for meaning non-white or non-male or non-dominant, depending on the context and composition of a group. But by really thinking about things intersectionally, uh, we can think about how we can honor the full story of everyone in our community and really honor the nuances of their experience and perspective without minimizing the experience of folks who belong to marginalized or underrepresented communities. This also is a framework that applies to how we view ideas as an acronym that each of these facets, inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, social justice, don't exist in isolation and that we actually need to be thinking about the relationships between them in order to have the kind of impact alignment that we wanna see in the world. So to give you an example, uh, in our time together, we reviewed every decision from where we hosted the conference to who was attended, 
to how we structured the registration forms and used ideas as the lens through which we evaluated those decisions. Was this something that was inclusive and accessible to folks? Would it provide equitable access to the things that we were offering? And one of the things that we found was that in our catering, for example, when we wanted to provide food offerings for the members of our community, we were really intentional to find local food providers who were minority owned businesses in Washington DC that were staples of the community, but didn't do the due diligence work on our side to really make sure that we as an organization were also adhering to practices of environmental sustainability and therefore actually incurred a lot of waste in terms of plastics and other materials. And so if we had really fully extended our vision for how ideas might be intersecting with other issue areas, we can then acknowledge that um, an environmental impact uh, is important and something that we missed. And so the, the intersectionality framework or the intersections framework applies to us both in terms of the composition of identity as well as the, if the potential for impact across different issue areas. One way that we try to uh, strive for that kind of intersection of interests and of in issue areas is in having webinars that we uh, collaborate with the community through Inclusion Network to host on a bi-monthly basis. And the topics are community driven, but they're also meant to be mutually appealing. So for example, identifying and navigating imposter syndrome, the ethics of telling other people's stories, intersectional design principles. These are things that folks can participate and access from a variety of different standpoints and we can actually then use those uh, communal interests to really dive into other conversations to make sure that this work is for everyone. Moving on to the next theme is vulnerable and self-reflective. Uh, for us, when we reflect on the environmental impact that we had during the summit, it offers an opportunity and an example for how the Inclusion Next Work community and emerging leaders need to be continually encouraging and supporting opportunities for vulnerability and ongoing self-interrogation. For us, we believe that uh, systems change starts with an individual, that every system is comprised of individual people, and that we can only take others as far as we've gone ourselves, which is something I'm sure many of you have heard before. And so it's through self-awareness and self-reflective practices that we can begin to build those skills and begin to change systems. One of the key lessons that we've learned from our community is that vulnerability can't be assumed, that it's not enough to say that a space is safe, for example, or to say that a space is inclusive. And when you see folks in your space not demonstrating or offering the kind of vulnerability you are expecting, that actually says a lot. It tells you something about the ways in which you are creating a container for conversations, for vulnerability, for self-reflection. And so for us as leaders and as folks who want to create a container for that kind of critical self-reflection, we have to be thinking about how we proactively create the conditions and set the tones for others to participate fully. We have to lead by example and display our own vulnerability so that we can invite others to do the same. And during our time with these emerging leaders, a big part of our summit was about getting real and getting honest about tough questions in the ideas space and not sugarcoating the realities of the world that we live in. We recognize that not everyone will feel comfortable bearing their soul to a large group. And so we have to think structurally about how we can elicit that kind of vulnerability through different kinds of access points. So for example, can folks do they have time to write down thoughts and journal in real time and have some moments for self-reflection? Are they more comfortable in pair share activities or small groups rather than just participating with everyone in front of them? Uh, can they offer and solicit feedback? Can they share reflections through social media? Are there a suggestions box or way to provide feedback anonymously? It's about being as expansive in our thinking as possible so that people can authentically provide feedback and be vulnerable in doing so. Another way that we can think about this is in really being open about our own reasoning for participating in this work. One of the questions that we heard time and time again during our time over the, the summit was people asking the question, does my personal story have a role in this story? And if so, great, but what is the role that is most effective towards moving this issue area or this community forward? And do I need to be in the center of it? Sometimes the answer to that question may be yes, and other times we may want to get the answer by asking others for confirmation or feedback. Um, but if we can't authentically answer that question, sometimes the best things that we can do is make space for others who may be more appropriately able to address the issue at hand. Another opportunity or skill set that we saw as part of this theme is the distinction between calling out and calling in, which is a term, the latter calling in, 
coined by uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a representative in Congress. And we, we define that calling in as the act of checking your peers and getting them to change problematic behaviors by explaining their misstep with compassion and patience. It's that extra step of bringing people into the fold and helping reflect a mirror to them that is both an opportunity for their own self-reflection and vulnerability and offers folks a way to change their behavior and to learn together uh, in a way that calling out and simply naming the behavior but not taking the extra step to explain its impact or offer an alternative uh, might provide. And lastly, on this note, we found that folks really demonstrated a group norm that we had co-created, which we uh, termed uh, take space, make space, as a way of self-regulating their participation vis-a-vis -vis the participation of others. So it was a great way for folks to realize if I've been speaking a lot, if I've been participating a lot, perhaps I can make some space for others. And conversely, if I haven't had a chance to speak up or to participate in a way that is meaningful for me, I can perhaps take some space to find a way to do so. It's important to acknowledge that uh, folks in our generation and the folks that we've interacted with are increasingly comfortable with and expect these kinds of group dynamics to be at play in their organizational and, prof and professional spaces. This is also true for self-care and well-being. We recognize that the work of ideas and social change is difficult and that the burden for that work is not and has not been equitably distributed by different social groups across history. Audre Lorde once talked about self-care as a radical act. And it's a theme of during the summit that we saw time and again, particularly as a critical component of how we practice ideas in ways that have not always been acknowledged in the past. We recognize the importance of centering the need for particularly marginalized folks to prioritize self-care and well-being over the comfort of those in perhaps more dominant positions. Um, and to do so in a way that doesn't neglect the psychological or emotional toll it takes to wake up every day and to continue the fight for a better tomorrow from wherever we find ourselves. During our time together at the summit, we held a healing justice keynote, which offered an intentional pause that included guided breathing and reflection exercises and a conversation about what fills our cup as compared to what drains it. Doing so added some mindfulness to our conversations and to the work that we do, and also allowed people to be restored emotionally in community together. I'll also share in terms of self-care and well-being that one of the distinctions of our time together was having uh, what we called care ambassadors. So we had three members of the Inclusion Next Work team together who were publicly acknowledged in the beginning of our time who had resources and other opportunities to connect with folks if they needed, for example, a Tylenol or they needed a snack or they just needed someone to connect with because they were experiencing something that was emotionally difficult. And it was during this time that the care ambassadors were a visible representation of our forethought in recognizing that we are here for you and to attend to you as a full person that created the space for people to participate more fully. In our next theme, we recognize the importance of this work being done through alliances and partnerships that even though, as we mentioned earlier, systems are comprised of a single individual, the way that social change happens is through alliances and partnerships. And for Inclusion Next work, part of the reason why we formed as an organization was recognizing that there are very few opportunities for folks, particularly those who might feel like they're the only one in their community to be connected with others with similar views and values. Relationships for us are the prerequisite to partners, to partnerships and collective action. We like to think that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so for us, it's important to intentionally share in ways that allow people to get to know you beyond just your opinion. And so one way that we can forge alliances and partnerships is by asking folks to share a little bit about their background or their experience that led them to the formulation of their worldview. So for example, if we're talking about a conversation around migration, I can share that as a first generation American with family connections to both Cuba and Israel, I see this issue in X way. And when Mignon shares her perspective answer, she can share from her perspective and experience so that it humanizes both of our perspectives and allows us to see the person behind the position. And oftentimes we found that that creates the relational space to make sure that if there is divergence of opinion or if there is disagreement, we can move through it productively rather than continuing to perpetuate this us versus them dynamic that we see in our increasingly polarized society today. A way to enhance this conversation is to ask people for not just examples, um, but stories. 
So when you want to learn more about someone, instead of saying, hey, can you tell me when you've seen this? Tell me about when you experienced this or when someone in your family or your community experienced X, because that really shows both a commitment to understanding that person as a full person. And it also creates, again, that relational space for a more expansive conversation. We also think about the importance of alliances and partnerships through systems thinking in terms of the issue areas that we choose to address. We need to show up for one another in order to foster more sustainable change. So for example, we, I think a lot about education being at Yale currently and about how folks who care about ideas more broadly in the education space need to recognize how our interests intersect with the concerns of those who are, for example, working on housing segregation, which affects the tax base for schools. Uh, we should also be thinking about the issues of others focused on immigration policy, which threatens to deport undocumented families and incite fear among immigrant students. And so if I'm just thinking about ac academic achievement without factoring in the other systems that might influence the very uh, question I'm looking to solve and not reaching out to folks who are operating in a similar space, but perhaps not directly related, then we perhaps won't have the kind of impact we seek to, to foster. So for us, one of the ways that we do that and one of the ways that emerging leaders are really being proactive in doing so is trying to break down the walls between formal DEI practitioners and folks that are passionate about ideas, even if it's not the central thrust of their professional commitment and helping folks, particularly those that are not diversity managers or chief diversity officers or inclusion officers to think about the ways in which the ideas value sets actually applies to their work because in many ways, sanitation workers and caretakers and teachers and engineers are in fact practicing ideas values, but they may not have the language or the opportunity to express that language as readily as others who are formally in this space all the time. And lastly, or second lastly, I should say, that this work needs to be adaptive and transformational. That ideas needs to be at the center of our lives if we're going to forge a future for everyone. This work has to adapt to new circumstances, remain flexible, and recognize the different needs and contexts of different communities. Most importantly, we can't stay attached to what has been if we're going to create a better tomorrow. For us and for emerging leaders, this is not a conversation about checking a box or simply assuming that headcount considerations are enough. We must use ideas principles as a, that are cognizant of context and adapt to realities on the ground. For example, a way to do that is to be intentional about assessing and addressing the iterative steps that it takes to make change and not assuming that we make change overnight through transformation. There's actually a strength in being a platform or a container or a venue to make community connections, to create dialogue and strategies or scale an assessment to measure where we are and where we aren't. And that kind of reflection goes back to our earlier theme of vulnerability. And I think for us, and we'll talk about later, that emerging leaders are much more willing to acknowledge where we aren't as an organization or as a community and without it being a wrong, but acknowledging that this then needs to be our starting point for that kind of adaptation and ultimately transformation. And to that end, if we think about solve, you know, what we as an organization and as a community are trying to solve for is identifying the stages and providing the steps that lead to tangible process for a solve even if that just means aligning on where perhaps the problems are and doing so in a community fashion. So for us, transformation really means balancing the incremental change with bold actions that have an immediate impact. We wanna see paradigms change and in doing so, we must impact behaviors and mindsets individually, but also think about what this work means organizationally and institutionally from the perspective of practices, programs, and processes. And lastly, this work needs to be innovative and ongoing. We cannot be more inclusive or live out ideas values better than we are today without innovating. The concepts of ideas and in innovation are inextricably intertwined and new generations see them as such. Innovation for us isn't necessarily a scary concept associated with risk and uncertainty, but rather an implicit and explicit expectation of people and organizations. It's similar to the concept of inclusion. It's not optional, it's necessary. When practiced well, we find that ideas is a natural contributor to innovation. And conversely, ideas, when they are stifled, so too will stifle the innovation, regardless of the context or community where that is stifled. Innovation also is, import is important.
important because it helps us to really ground the work we're doing in a particular context in recognition that no single solution will work across all contexts, particularly with ideas related work. And to do so effectively, we really need to go back to this theme of co-creation and collaboration so that the voices and experiences of the communities with which we partner is front and center of the output of our work. For us, we did this during the summit in two key ways. One was around creating ideas definition. So actually going through an exercise, even if folks have a clear understanding of what for them inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, and social justice mean, rather we needed to create a definition of those terms so that we were all speaking from a similar place and we're reconciling perhaps the different things we embody in those definitions to have a more coherent and singular conversation. We also linked themes of innovation to leadership and thinking about how we need to be creative in breaking through the status quo to make progress in the social inequities we seek to address. There's no single solution and for us context is everything. So with that, um, we're gonna ask you which of these themes most resonates for you. We'll hold up another poll for folks to take a quick second and think about of these, which ones resonate, which ones do you most identify with as us needing to do in our work? Great, thank you so much to everyone. It seems like our most resonance occurs with intersectional and for everyone with 28% uh, or 27%, excuse me, followed by adaptive and transformational. Great. So with that, um, we will move on to the next portion of our conversation, which Mignon will take from here. Great, thank you, Dan. So um, now that we've gone through the themes, um, we, we want to talk a little bit more about what are the implications for DNI strategy um, based on those themes. And there are many, but we're just sharing a few with you here. So the first theme on intersectional and for everyone. You have to recognize that there has been not just an evolution in identity uh, and, and how we self-identify and self-express, but that it's been truly a revolution in the past few years and that that does not seem like that will be stopping anytime soon. So what does that mean and how we think about identity um, and how we've in the past when it comes to DEI or DNI strategies, we have used certain markers to understand the diversity that we have, to um, understand the types of in, in, uh, inclusion initiatives that we want to engage in. And so one of the things that um, we think will happen is that we just no longer fit in the box, right? I mean, it's, I think, pretty clear that those boxes have always been restrictive and more reflective of social political values um, rather than truly being about who we are um, as human beings. So, for example, at my organization, we are working towards having no um, boxes um, in our applications for new um, job candidates, for example, and have people def define that themselves. And on the back end, we would have some categories and some, some ways of still understanding patterns and um, you know, being able to do useful analysis. But in the same time, making sure that we, that, that we um, honor people's complex identities. And that we um, you know, also recognize that these identities are so um, uh, complex and they exist on spectra. Um, most folks are more and more becoming aware of that for themselves and are claiming that and owning that. And that has implications for how we think about um, diversity as a concept in our organizations. And to that point, we also um, have heard from some of our community members that we want to rethink the way that we think about diverse. So often in diversity um, strategy, we hear say, you know, do we have diverse candidates or do we have diverse people? As opposed to saying, do we have diversity across the candidate pool? Because people, you know, people are not just diverse. They, we, that, that, that usually speaks to, as Dan was saying, it implies it's field language to usually speak to um, gender and ethnicity. But let's also be clear about what this means to us then. So in addition to rethinking how we use diverse, we also um, more and more hear from folks that we just want to be explicit about what diversity we mean and not just have this blanket statement of what that is. And to say, we recognize we do not have enough diversity of race and ethnicity in our, in our organization versus saying we need more diversity, right? And it allows us to be much more um, clear on what we need to work on and to take ownership of that. We also recognize that we need to honor the source. Kimberly Crenshaw, 
um, mentioned that, um, you know, mentioned the concept of, of intersectionality, particularly in the context of race and gender, and particularly African-American women. And we have overused or misused the word intersectionality to the point that it sometimes does not have the meaning that we, that we, that it, we know it has. So we can talk about intersectionality as that originally intended concept, while also thinking about intersecting identities that can play out along a, a number of different um, identity markers. And then it's really about you know making making community connections and recognizing that um, we have new new ways of how we work together and we will talk a little bit more about alliances and partnerships. But again, to Dan's points earlier, um, we need to think across difference um, in order to build those um, those those collaborations. And it's no longer along these one lines of identity. It's much more complex than that. Um, and for everyone, right? And so we um, we also know that we want to bring ideas um, from just under HR to a much broader um, initiative across the organization. That we can think about it in terms of how we design our products, how we um, conduct our customer service, how we think, for example, in the um, context of Amnesty International, how we do our human rights work um, and what is the type of work that we're doing. Um, how do we take it from just the narrow HR considerations to a much broader, um, broader strategy that intersects with everything that we do organizationally? And recognizing the stakeholders that you have. There are stakeholders in places that we don't always recognize. For example, we regularly hear from folks in the Inclusion Next Work community that they want to be involved but don't quite know how to and that they are not considered stakeholders in the process, that they don't have a lot of opportunity to give input, to help shape strategies, and um, that they would love to do more of that and be able to, to contribute. So that then also ties to making sure that there's buy-in. The more that you can think about stakeholders in unlikely places, um, that also means that you can build buy-in in unlikely places. And when people get a sense to participate, they feel like there is some ownership in that. Um, and, um, and so like, how do, how do we make sure that all of us can be part of this conversation and have full buy-in? And that then again ties to inspiring accountability for all. I think accountability has been used so much as a punitive um, framework, while more and more we want to just see it be something that due to all the work that we're doing and due to full participation of all stakeholders, people feel an inherent sense of accountability um, much more than, than if it comes just from the top down. So then vulnerable and self-reflective. So starting with ourselves, how do we model self-reflective, uh, self-reflection, vulnerability, transparency, and empathetic leadership? And thinking about that beyond the traditional norms, as then mentioned, there is much more willingness and much more expectation now about being more comfortable with who we are, speaking truth to that, making mistakes, taking ownership of that, um, and just being honest about, about your own, um, your own way of being your own um, your own areas for opportunity and to that point um, always being open to help and providing input and getting feedback and, and learning and doing that not only privately but publicly there is such a powerful statements that leaders can make by learning publicly and sharing their learnings publicly and um, that is not considered to be a weakness that is considered to be much more of a strength and something that we admire because when I do, the, I, I do that, I give permission for others to do that, and that's how we learn together. And that then speaks to being open about where we are and where you're not and what you're doing. And that is not only true at the personal level, but organizationally, what we'd like to see more and more of is organizations owning that they're that where they are. There are some companies out there who are very honest, right, about their diversity data, about the efforts that they're making, about acknowledging missteps, about acknowledging the fact that they haven't made much progress and the things that they're doing. Folks really read and want to know that you're not there yet, but you're recognizing that you're not there, as opposed to just not saying anything at all or painting a picture that is not what is the lived reality or experience for folks. And to that point, um, the last two points are really about um, thinking about our internal reputation versus our external reputation and going beyond um, the triple bottom line and recognizing the importance of walking the talk and doing that in full integrity and prioritizing our values 
people vote with their values. They, 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 um, you know, they spend money with their values. They um, uh, decide on employers based on values. And so the more that you can make these not only stated values, but have them be lived and experienced in such a way that is crucially important. Um, and to that point, um, it's, it's just about how do we communicate about our DNI work? Better than to say that it's all perfect and we are incredibly good at this, to say, you know, here are the areas where we recognize we have work to do. Here are the areas where we, we know that we, um, that we are, are falling short. It's a much more powerful statement. And again, not considered to be a weakness more and more, but something that um, people are looking for, to just be honest about this. And so to the balance, um, substantive diversity and inclusion work and how you are perceived internally by your internal stakeholders, your, your colleagues, your, uh, your team, uh, even your vendors or others who are part of your overall community um, is really important and not just how you're perceived in terms of what you have on your website or how you show up in conferences, for example. So um, that speaks a little bit to the evolution around um, ideas as well as that, you know, we, we see that some, that, you know, some of the work in the past has been much more about sort of window dressing and saying, hey, this is what we care about. This is who we are, um, but not necessarily a lot of substance. And so thinking about this as a store, right? How do we move from more externally facing or surface level, um, you know, surface level, um, communication about who we are to much more substantive um, living that in the day to day and to think about as a store to, to make sure that our products and services are in alignment with that right so again this is um, this is just to, to say that we want to make sure that internally we actually make tangible steps to change some of this not just externally and that eventually what we want to get to is that people want to be able to see in the stock room and the supply chain and want to see what's going on there and to see like, are we living our full values internally and externally? Or if we're not, are we being honest and vulnerable about where we are? So the piece of self-reflection in our own thinking of the and strategy is important for the future. So then self-care and well-being. Um, recognizing and rewarding the significant emotional labor for those involved with this work, as Dan said, that was one of the themes that that shows up in our, showed up in our um, summit, that shows up in all the work that Inclusion Next work does, is a recognition of how much this takes from us, how heavy this work is, and if we have to honor that and reward that, and not just assume that that's something that that we could just do on the side, right? And to that point, um, with that is that the emotional labor for those with marginalized community, uh, marginalized identities is specifically um, significant uh, and that we censor the experiences, the needs and the concerns of those communities in our work. So often um, training on unconscious bias or other ideas related work, very much is about the comfort of those who are um, in more dominant, uh, dominant communities, as opposed to really being supportive and, um, and respectful of those with marginalized identities. So how do we design and think about training and education and other initiatives with um, marginalized folks at the, at the center of our considerations? And with that, to integrate ideas work into well-being strategies, these things are not separate. We know that um, inclusion and belonging and well-being are intimately intertwined and that different people have different barriers and different needs when it comes to well-being. So the more that you can think through how to, how to in integrate ideas, concepts into your well-being strategy and vice versa, the more that we can have a holistic approach to this. And to stigmatize self-care and mental health as something external to the work environment. Again, when it comes to idea strategies, we have an opportunity here to recognize how this is impacting us and to bring that actually into the workplace, to own that and to honor that and to see how our idea strategies could help to address that. So then alliances and partnerships. So start with yourself. Ask where can you be supportive of others and build allyship skills? Where can we build these relationships that we haven't been able to build before? And recognizing that um, trust moves at the speed of relationships. And this, is, uh, this comes from Adrienne Marie Brown. Many of you are probably familiar with emergent strategy and uh, what she spoke to there, which is that in order for us to, to have strong relationships, we have to um, uh, recognize that trust is at the foundation of that. And that we, we need to invest in that piece and we can always work on building that with others, especially with those outside of our current networks. And that is both at the personal level as well as organizationally to think about what are these other partnerships that we can create? What are ways in which there is synergy between 
two disparate initiatives within one organization that may actually fit really well together if we think through an ideas component of that strategy, um, right? So when you think about, for example, um, product development and think about some of the work that's being done around internal um, uh, internal diversity inclusion. Um, some of you are familiar with business resource groups or other types of initiatives that are kind of at that intersection. And there are many others that can help us to address both and, and do that through an ideas lens. And again, think about partnerships outside of your own organization. Who could you be in relationship with? Who can you learn from and, um, and, and, and engage with in terms of models that are being used, practices that are being used, both in terms of um, uh, you know, other industries, but also other countries or other types of work that's being done. For example, Amnesty International is a movement building organization and a lot of movement building principles are incredibly useful for building momentum for ideas within your own organization. So I link those two together where I can, not only because that's, that's part of my own expertise and experience that I can leverage in this way, but also because it resonates for folks in the organization. So what are the different models out there that we can benefit from? And then how do you sustain those, um, uh, those relationships and that momentum through learning and staying expansive in your mindset and always recognize that there are things that we don't know. Some of you may have been in your organization for many years and have become pretty insulated into your own space and um, have a hard time getting out of that space, especially because so often we're the only ones or one of few in our organizations and there's so much work to do. But the more that we can stay connected to others, the more that we can get new, fresh new perspectives and, and build momentum together. So then, um, adaptive and transformative. So um, moving from the ecosystem to the ecosystem, really looking at the whole system and all stakeholders, and this, word, this language just comes from um, leading from the emergent future from Otto Schirmer. You may be familiar with Theory U. Um, and if not, I would recommend it. Same thing with um, uh, emergent strategy. And as you can see, it's all about emerging and what wants to emerge, what can emerge when we think about the whole, the whole system. And that only in that way we can be transformative. It's not one change here to this process, one training over there, but how do all of these things intersect in a way that can help us build that momentum. And as we talked about already a little bit is to balance pragmatic incremental change with activism, with radical action and bold decision making. It is incredibly overwhelming work. And the more that we can recognize that in that we can take some bold steps and, and take some, um, uh, you know, make some interesting decisions and think th about things differently right now and right here. There are also small ways, very incrementally, that help us to move towards that change. Balancing both can help us to be transformative. If we only focus on the little pieces, we're not transforming the system. If we're only looking at the big picture, we're um, too overwhelmed probably to make a lot of progress, as well as um, um, losing out on opportunities to actually make real tangible change right now as well. So that is about, about sort of being, thinking about transformation and also to recognize that we can adapt to new generations. This is one of the reasons why we're hosting this webinar and to share with, with you what are some of the new ways to think about this. Adapting to, um, to new realities and to really meet people where they are um, and being flexible in your strategy. One size does not fit all and we have to make sure we bring as many people as possible along with us. And then finally, identifying what unique, unique aspects of your organization uh, and the future of your organization can help shape and inform your strategy. Um, for example, um, my, um, my sister works for an organization in the Netherlands um, that recently created a sustainability initiative over the past few years and has also adapted some new values. And now they're looking at a diversity and inclusion strategy. And what they're trying to do is to say, what are we learning from the sustainability initiative that worked really well in our organization, in our context, that we can then leverage to build our diversity and inclusion strategy? And what is unique about our values? What is our unique value proposition that we can tie our um, DNI strategy to so that it speaks to people, so that it feels integrated and that we can actually be transformative in our approach? So finally, innovation and innovative and ongoing, um, we recognize that we cannot do ideas without innovation, right? Inclusion requires us to do things differently than we have in the past. So it's automatically already intertwined. And that um, we cannot really be more innovative if we're not inclusive of these diverse viewpoints and that we bring them in intentionally to drive innovation. 
So could you link them together, as is, for example, the case in, in, in Amnesty, but in other organizations who are recognizing that these are just inextricably intertwined, and to think about what are the concepts that we can use and the, uh, the approaches that we can use from each other and borrow that from each other to strengthen the work. So, um, for example, um, you know, thinking about testing and iteration and failing fast and human-centered design thinking or equity design thinking, those are ways in which we can link those two needs and, and see what the potential is of, of combining them. And to recognize that new realities require new strategies that requires, you know, us to think a bit bolder, to take risks and to constantly iterate. Um, that is both internal changing realities and externally in the world around us as well. And to try to think about ideas, not just as fixing the problem, but to really think about your future vision of your organization. The question is not so much, what if we do ideas work? But the question is, what if we don't? And so how do we think from the place of vision setting that help us then um, uh, uh, think through how do we actually get there um, and, um, and, and hopefully open up more opportunities than if we would just be looking at what are the problems that we need to fix. So um, I'm curious if you're interested. I would love to hear from you in chat if there are any, um, uh, you know, any any of these that you are already incorporating or things that you are interested in incorporating after we shared them with you. What are ways that we? Um, uh, so actually, this poll is not quite yet. This is just a chat, <laughs> so we'll just leave the poll for now. Then we'll, we'll get there in just a second. Um, but just in terms of chat, what is it that that you um, that you are already doing? How are you innovating? Um, and responding to different needs when it comes to ideas as this field evolves. Great, and I see some things coming in here in the chat. Um, so um, take a look at what folks are sharing, and it's, um, it's interesting. Um, some of the, you know, the ways in which we think about it, for example, um, Veronica, you mentioned in the learning stage um, of DNI in, um, in the strategic planning process, absolutely. Um, we're doing the same thing, actually. Um, for example, for us at Amnesty, um, everyone at, in every level and in every role is required to think through ideas as part of their um, work planning for the year um, and have that be integrated into that. And so that's something to share responsibility and to integrate that um, uh, for everyone. Um, Okay, great. So we'll have some time for more uh, Q&A, but I just want to shift now to just talking briefly about um, now what does this mean about where we are and some of you um, might be already in the DNI professions and others might not be. So now um, we have the poll for you because we're just curious who we have in the room and I'll hand it over to Dan uh, while you fill out the poll. Great. Thank you all. Um, it sounds like we actually have a pretty even distribution, more or less, of folks, depending on where they are coming from, and appreciate you sharing that information with us. So in our last uh, bit of time together, we wanted to share a little bit more um, about ideas from where you are and this concept that we've th thought about that the work of ideas does not need to be done simply by folks who are the chief diversity officer, per se, but how thinking about how we can have that mindset be pervasive through every part of the organization and community. And so the beginning part of that model is thinking about how we embody and demonstrate these values. How do we practice inclusive behaviors in being open to feedback, cultivating self-awareness, self managing biases, um, and continuing to invest in our learning. The second part is really around initiating and collaborating. It's about being that link and bridge across communities. And that might mean in participating in existing outlets and opportunities, whether they're business or employee resource groups. Um, it might mean actively supporting and championing others who are already involved in this work, starting your own initiative in the ideas field and engaging in informal conversations whenever possible. And for us in our, in our generational cohort, we often see that these conversations are part of everyday interactions. And so the degree to which we can begin to link them explicitly, because in many cases they're already happening, we can then begin to show the power um, and interconnectedness of these different values. And lastly, thinking about um, how we apply and integrate it. So this speaks again to the ways in which this work is interconnected with other parts of our lives and other parts of our organizations. And so thinking about ideas as a tangible set of considerations and responsibilities um, and moving from one example that we'll talk about just briefly uh, is about moving from smart goals to smart ideas goals. 
So I'm sure many folks are familiar with the SMART goals, which is a way of thinking about um, how we identify and measure goals. So they should be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. But we often don't think about how those goals may impact the world of ideas. And so for us and our community, we're thinking of shifting the language of goals evaluation from SMART ideas to, uh, sorry, from smart, SMART goals to SMART ideas. So the goal should be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound, but they should also be inclusive, diversity conscious, equitable, accessible, and socially just. And we also, in looking at this model, can think about horizontally how these different values intersect. So what does it mean to be both specific and inclusive? So to be clear about our expectation, but be as expansive and inclusive in who gets to participate in them. For us to be measurable and conscious of diversity, to be thinking about how we measure the folks and representation and voices in the room as a proxy for inclusion. How things should be achievable and equitable, to think about if we only do what is achievable, we may actually be reinforcing inequities. So to make sure that what we achieve, what we focus our time and attention on is equitable in its outcome and for those who may out, uh, access that equity. How relevant is this work and accessible is it for folks who are actually able to participate in it? Are they able to have multiple entry points so that they can be their full selves in doing that? And lastly, that work should be time bound and socially just, that this is not a conversation that we are the luxury of continuing to have. When we think about climate justice, when we think about racial equity, when we think about the poverty and wealth gap, these are issues of our time that we need to be resolving today. And so that while we do wanna have certain milestones and metrics that have shorter term uh, milestones, we also wanna be thinking about this with a sense of urgency. Great. So I will uh, take it over from here. And again, we recognize that we only have a few minutes left, so I'll be a bit quick on this. The reason why we wanted to briefly talk about careers in ideas is because um, Inclusion Next Work gets a lot of requests from people for informational interviews, for questions about how can I get into this field? What can I do? And, and how do I become a professional in this? So um, just a few thoughts on this for those of you on the call who are interested in that. Is to think about it, rounding out your current skill sets. And that can be through education, through um, finding folks to engage in mentorship with, or to volunteer some of your skills right now and some of your passion right now that allows you to build your experience and expertise. Um, many of you have lots of skill sets already that can be leveraged in this way. And um, you know, if you're already do it, are an, if you're an educator, you know, your facilitation skills are probably already strong, but then perhaps you need to work on your strategy skills. So look at the ways in which you can round it out to move further into this field. Um, and to leverage an area of expertise, right? Within ideas, there's a lot of opportunity. For example, if you're in, uh, in data, if you're a data analyst, there's a lot of work now being done on, on data within ideas. If you have transferable skills that can help you to, um, uh, to link that to ideas work or to have a unique, unique background. I've talked to folks who had a very interesting combination of different fields that they've been in that once you think a bit creatively, about, you can see how they could translate into some of the ideas work and skills that we need in this field. And identifying the various options for entering into the field, what is the appropriate level to move into? Do you need to make a lateral move in order to get into the field and from which you can advance? And do you need to, do you need to or want to change industries and what opportunities are there for that? Um, so, and then understand the ideas role. I think sometimes we think of ideas role as something that everybody can do. And, I think that it is a unique discipline that combines so many skill sets. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity for people to engage with it, but understand that it's also a very complex talent profile, that you, you are asked many things at the same time. Uh, and it's, um, it's one that you learn through doing, but also learn through continually building your skill sets and your network in your community that you work with. One of the reasons, again, that INW and Inclusion Next Work has come about is for people to engage in a community with each other to further understand what ideas might look like in their world and how they can move into a role formally or informally to help advance that. Um, and so there are just many ways to get into the field and it very much depends on where you are. So I'll finish it up here and knowing that we have about a whole minute left, um, uh, we can open up for any questions um, perhaps that you might have.
Great. Thank you both so much. And thank you for that wonderful webinar. Um, yeah, we can open, um, as both Dan and Mignon acknowledge, we are a little bit short on time, but we're happy to open up to Q&A. Um, Q &A. <laughs> um, if, if Dan and Mignon are comfortable staying. Ben, there's one question in the Q&A window um, from Dave Jameson. Any insights on how to manage this work across whole systems rather than parts? I don't know if that was specific to one portion of the seminar or the webinar it was uh, at 11:47. sure yeah thank you for that question um what i think about is finding champions for this work in each domain and it really comes back to the question of alliances and partnerships mm. and so for me it's about finding folks who are willing to co-create a vision for what your community or organization looks like together and using them as visible outposts for this work so that you as an individual are not needing to do it all on your own. And so the kinds of alliances may look different depending on the context of the community and organization. So for example, at, at Yale, there are 14 different graduate schools and each school has both a, uh, a faculty or staff member of the school who is responsible as the, the point person as well as a student counterpart and so knowing who those folks are allows us to work across schools to coordinate efforts so that we within the confines of larger Yale are able to move more effectively thank you and that and that would be my colleague Aaron who's um, Aaron Hello. Monson yes who's here helping with moderating the chat but we did have a, call, a question earlier from Don Christian Christian um, can you offer what is the lexicon is becoming to replace diverse that was directed towards Mignon. Yep. Um, so unfortunately, Mignon had to step away uh, and head back to work, but I'm happy to stay on for as long as folks are willing to. Um, and to Don's question, which is an important one, I think we're not trying to recommend that folks do away with the word diverse, but to think about the specificity of how it's being used. So for example, at Yale, and that's the context I'm most familiar with most recently, it's about if we're saying we want to attract diverse students, that's not a particularly helpful designation because the, are we talking about diversity of race? Are we talking about diversity of professional background? Are we talking about diversity of undergraduate institution? And so if we're trying to say that what we're actually thinking about and the code word diversity is, hi, uh, is hiding, is we actually are looking to increase the number of underrepresented minority students from racial backgrounds in the US. Well, that's a mouthful to say, that's what we actually need to say. So how do you shift the consciousness of faculty and staff to the concept of co-creating? Yeah, that's a great question. And particularly for folks who are in organizational or community systems where the currency of power is knowledge and having the answer. And I find that I struggle against this all the time being in an MBA program where you're basically positioned as the decision maker. And so if I'm being told that the, the lens of authority is myself, then why do I need to reach out to the community that might be impacted by the decision? What I offer as perhaps an answer, one of potentially many, is to think about um, the difference between intent and impact and the way that co-creation allows you to minimize the difference between those two things. And so I can have the best intention of the world, but if I'm only one person and only operating from a single perspective or experience, there's so much that I might miss. And we can look at in the news, in decisions made by business leaders, when an intention actually gets completely overridden because the impact for whatever reason is not in alignment. And oftentimes that's because there's a lack of community feedback or an opportunity to actually include the voices of the people who will be directly impacted by those decisions. And so there's this tension then in relinquishing the power of making the authority of the decision by yourself with the potential for inclusion, for equity, and for access when you allow others to participate in that process. And so for me, it's about showing the benefits of that upside potential of actually making a better decision, of actually having a more aligned impact to your intention. And that's the way that we can get folks to think about the importance of co-creation. Thank you. So we're going to do a couple more questions. There's one I hear about tangible project ideas for employee resource groups. Yeah, so one of the things that we've seen to be really powerful is helping employee resource groups identify issue areas that may be uh, of interest to multiple groups. So for example, if you have a, uh, a women's ERG, in many cases, that, that ERG may not necessarily extend to folks who are gender non-binary or trans or find ways of effectively and consistently enrolling men in their programming. So for example, if you can have a conference or panel or project on gender equity in the workplace, 
or allyship across gender in the workplace. If you can find these topics that cross cut, there are ways to bring folks together so that you can break down the silos of these identity-based ERGs, which is not to say that they're not important and that folks who belong to those specific groups don't need those spaces to be in community and get support, but there are other opportunities to reach across different groups through communally uh, and mutually interesting uh, project ideas. And sorry, an ERG for folks who are not familiar with that language is an employee resource group and a BRG is a business resource group. Um, BRGs tend to actually be um, related to specific projects directly related to the business's functionings. Great, and the, the final question that I'll ask before we go, which feels like a perfect way to end for you, is how can we get involved with Inclusion Next work, such yeah. as the conference, et cetera? Yeah, that is a great question um, and something where we would love to invite folks to come participate and work with us further. Um, there's a few things folks can do. Um, the first thing I would recommend is going to our website and you'll see that on the front page there's an icon to join our newsletter, which will provide bi-monthly updates on projects, on events. We're actually hosting one on Tuesday next week on the 19th where we'll be speaking to a documentarian, uh, Peter Juarez, who will be talking about the ethics of telling other people's stories. Um, and so we have those conversations. We have a lot of project work that we're looking to bring folks into. So feel free to reach out to me via email or to Mignon. You can also reach out to our general email address, which is info at inclusionnextwork.org. Um, and we'd be more than happy to have a conversation about how we may, may be able to partner. And the website is www.inclusionnextwork.org. Keeping it simple, like it. Keeping it simple. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again, Dan, for this outstanding webinar. I was going to say, if you just look at the comments, you can see how much people genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. I just want to thank all of you for attending um, and also to our sponsor, Aon. I want to thank them as well for their continued support. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.